Turn to Romans chapter 14. If you're you got a Bible in your hand, you're kind of unfamiliar, it's towards the end. Uh, or get it on your phone. Romans 14. And while you're turning there, I want to make a, a list. Um, I want to throw out a list here to you. What are the rules? What are the, um, the lists that we make as Christians, churches make, that the, the Bible doesn't make? God is silence on. Sometimes people call it the gray area. But uh, what are the things the church, these rules that churches make over the years, and let's just think in terms of our recent past, maybe the last 50 years or something like that, that you've encountered where you can't do that and you shouldn't do this and don't do that and that's not allowed. So I'll, I'll give you one. Um, so, uh, and, and just so you know, um, there was a big list in the morning and uh, uh, the first service, they had quite a list. So um, the, the challenge has been laid down, the gauntlet's been laid down. So here's one, uh, you can't dance. Christians don't dance. That's, that's a pretty good one, right? So I'm starting it off here. So what's some other things here? This is group participation starting right now. You can't play cards. Amen. Like people are like, what? what? Go to movies. Yes, you can't go to movies. You can't drink alcohol. You can't gamble. You, bro, you can't watch Harry Potter. That's what he said. So, next. Mm? What other ones? You can't smoke? Can't what? Can't read Harry Potter books. Can we just get off Harry Potter? Like, what else? Can't use profane language. Um, well... Yeah, the Bible says something about that one. <laughs> Coarse speech, rough joking, those kind of yeah. What's the other ones? What? You can't hate. Well, the Bible says you can't hate. So these are ones that the Bible is silent on. Like the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible says do not hate. That's that's a pretty good rule, pretty clear in here. I'm talking about ones that churches make up. How about this? You can't do tattoos. Maybe. Can't listen to rock and roll. You cannot have a band on Sunday morning. You can't have lights. Can you have smoke on a Sunday morning? What are other ones? Dresses only. That was a good one. Some other people said, no, you can't swim with the opposite sex. No jewelry. Now we're warming up. Now it's coming back to you. All you recovering Protestants that came from legalistic backgrounds. And, and this is a funny thing. I thought it was just us Protestants, but then I met a bunch of you Catholics coming out of your legalistic, and you had it just as good as us Protestants, right? I mean, you, you messed it up just like we did. Um, so many of us come back from, oh yeah, long hair. You can't have long hair. I mean, we have these lists, and if you are growing, if you've grown up in the church and come out of that, um, you know the list. If you're sitting there like you've never been a part of church, you're like, man, you guys are messed up. Um, yeah, right. So let's read this and see what see what God says about all this. All right, it says this in Romans 14:1. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats despise not, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will up, be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it and honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats and honor the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains and honor the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat, or we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The Roman church was one of the most culturally diverse churches of that time. It had all kinds of nationalities there in the capital city. You had Romans, Africans, you had people from the Middle East, you had Southern Europe, you had, the, I mean, just all kinds of races. You had rich, you had poor, slaves, owners, farmers, soldiers, everyone you can imagine even from religious backgrounds, you had Jewish people coming in, you had Gentiles in. I mean, it, was a, it was just this beautiful collage, right, of diversity. And God has this vision where he wants to pull everyone in. His heart is for the nations. And so he has all these people in this church. And, and this, he has this vision like when the church of God is working and filled with the kingdom of God and on kingdom purpose, there is nothing like it in this world. Nothing can touch a church that is on mission and on point with his kingdom. Nothing comes close. And this church wasn't even close to that. And there's so much fighting, so much hating, so much judging, so much disdaining. But Paul has to write about this. And what was going on, we see it really clearly in here. You had the vegetarians against the carnivores. That was one of the issues. It still happens today. Carnivore people think they're better than the vegetarians, and the vegetarians think they're better than the carnivore people. And, and what was happening here is they were pulling God in and saying, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, if you're really like godly, you're a vegetarian, or you, you don't eat meat. Well, if you're really godly, you're free to eat everything. And, and they were just bickering back and forth. And then you had the Jewish the, the Christians who were Jews who were coming in are saying, wait, 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 you got to celebrate. This Sabbath has to be, uh, what our calendar would say, on a Friday night to a Saturday night, 24 hours. And if you don't do that, you haven't celebrated that appropriately. You're less than Christian and you need to repent, ask for forgiveness. And there's other people going, I, I, don't, I don't need that. I can do it a different day. This is when I do this and this is when I worship God. And so there's a fight about what day to have uh, the Sabbath, and 
all, all of these fights, all of these arguments going on, and, and, and what happened in the middle of this was this, there's these things that Paul was seeing, and what, what Paul's describing here and what happens in life is, is kind of two different things. As Christians, we begin to collect sacred experiences with God. As we go through life, we'll have these moments where God just meets us in a powerful way while we're doing something, while we're worshiping that song, this style of music, that day, this, and, and no matter what it is, all of a sudden that becomes sacred to us, and what do we do? We go, oh, well, that is so important that we do it that way and that everybody else does it this way because that's the way God speaks to us, and then we start to create these rules, and say, well, this is how you have to worship God because that's the way I had my sacred experience. But it's nowhere in here. And we talk about in our church the scale of certainty. Scale of certainty, zero is completely uncertain and run, who cares, let it go, let it come, I don't care, no certainty there. 10, I'll die for that. Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, that's a 10. The Bible as the authority, sole authority for life and faith, that's a 10. Sacred experiences of God where God met us, not so much a 10. But we start to make these rules. Oh, no, 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 no. That, you, you've got to worship God this way. That, no, no, this is how you obey God. You've got to wear dresses on a Sunday morning. You can't wear pants. Women cannot wear pants and worship God. That's just impossible. This is what happens. So we have these sacred experiences that all of a sudden become laws, tends, are equated with the doctrines of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. On the other side, we collect over the years, and we've come out of it, but we have sinful experiences. Things where we look at those patterns, and it's awful. Things that trip us up, gateways into sin patterns. And we look at those, and now we start to make these laws. Well, because of my experience and how those were gateways, everybody else has to avoid this and cannot do this because this will lead to evil. And so then it becomes a 10, this pattern or this gateway, which if you look at a lot of this stuff, it's, it's either neutral or God even called it good and we just have a great way of just messing it up. And so we start to put these fences in, rules in, because we got to control everybody and make sure that nobody goes off into sin. And that becomes a 10. And Paul comes in here and he goes, it's opinion. What? You can't say that. It's opinions. Quit quarreling over opinions. We want control. We want boxes. Please give me my box. Tell me how to obey. Tell me how to live. Tell me what to do. I don't have to think about it. That's one way. And the other one is, I don't want any boxes. And, and you've got all this mess in between. And Paul comes in and he says, look, this is what's happening. You guys are quarreling over opinions. And so he says three things here in the negative. He says, quit quarreling. Quit arguing over opinions. That's what they are. They're opinions. It's not the inspired word of God. And we want to get the moral high ground. We want to get on the high horse and look down and lord over people. You all are so messed up. He says this, 
quit quarreling. And then he says twice, let's not despise the one who abstains. Like this, this idea of despise. He says that again over in verse 10. Why are you despising your brother or your sister? Despise is such a violent word, really. It's like this arresting word to loathe, to look down on, to disdain. Like, oh, look at you. Like there's so much. Despise is just this look, right? It's this attitude. Don't, don't tell me to define it, but when somebody is despising somebody, you just know it when you see it. You can just sense it. And this is what they were doing. They're looking at each other and just going, who are you? Look at you. What kind of Christian are you? There's something and let's just be honest, there's something in us or that was part of the old life that lurks there that wants to pull us in to say it feels real good to get the moral high ground. Go get the high ground. Go get on your little high horse. It's so fun to just be there and to look down. And he says, stop judging, stop disdaining. And then he says this, or he says, stop, then he says the final one, stop quarreling, stop disdaining, and then now he says, stop judging. Quit judging. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And then he goes on, verse 10, who are you to pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother? We'll all stand before a judgment seat. And what he says is, stop judging, stop giving out Judgments of unworthy, stop passing these guilty verdicts on people where the Bible is silent. And then he reminds them who the judge really is, who the master is. He says, it's the Lord. We stand before the Lord. You will stand before the Lord. I will stand before the Lord. And that's what we have to worry about. That's what we should be concerned for, is we will give an account to God. And this is what's so difficult, and this is the church bucks this and has all along. Since, since he was writing this, the church has still fought this. Why? Because you can't control people and people could take advantage of this, right? People could take advantage of this massive, this is just a huge, God's opening this huge gate. You mean, if you don't put up fences and you don't put up rules and the Bible's silent all this stuff, people are gonna take advantage of you, God. People are gonna lie to us. People are gonna lie and say, oh, no, no, that's, I don't struggle with that when in fact they do, so. Or people are gonna, you know, be over here going, oh, I got all this freedom and pretending all this, right? I mean, it's, and God says, that's exactly how I want it to happen. I want this wide open and this to be between me as the master and you. I refuse to let you build fences that are not there. I, I'll tell you, I'll lead you on what you're free to do. I'll lead you on what you're not free to do. And it gives the church a rash. <laughs> right? They're off doing that. They're free to do this. Ah! 
there's, some, there's something to this where I think God gives us this ability to say, hey, look, if you see something, don't judge, don't disdain. You, you understand its opinion. You can go to talk to someone, maybe challenge them and go, is, where are you on this? Are you sure? Have you thought through? And, and then it's their answer, and it's their answer they're giving before the Lord, and, and we just walk away. We're free. We're free not to be the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. We're free not to have to clean anybody up. You do not have to clean anybody up. Let me just free you of that. You don't. It's above our pay grade. C.S. Lewis was, uh, I would say, I don't know if you call him a heavy smoker, <laughs> moderate smoker. He had two pipes he always carried around with him, smoked them all the time. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of what you would say in the 20th century was some of the greatest Christian thought that we read and we still read. If you look even farther back, the 1500s, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation. He was German. He had a beer stein that had ten rings on it, and he called it the Ten Commandments. And he believed that no theology should ever be discussed without drinking the Ten Commandments first. This is Martin Luther. Now, we sanitize him. And, and there's other stuff about Martin Luther, I'm like, uh, but this is the guy that started the Protestant Reformation, sola fide, faith alone. And, and the church, I mean, even the CMA, the CMA up until, what, the last couple years had a prohibition against alcohol for any clergy, any ordained clergy. You could not drink alcohol. And I would say all the time there was this buzz from, from a lot of pastors going, this is unbiblical. This is unbiblical. That is not in Scripture. You're making a law that is beyond Scripture. And eventually, actually in the last couple of years, they overturned it finally and said, Romans 14. It's an opinion. And so they said, all clergy are free to go drink alcohol. Now those over in Northern California, especially in Napa Valley, were saying, do you guys realize that everybody looks at us like, like we got like three heads when we say we can't drink wine at all these wine-tasting parties and at homes. If you don't drink wine in Northern California, everybody thinks you're just plain weird. And they said, it hurts our, it hurts our ministry. And so that was a piece of this thing. I don't know where you fall out on that. I, you know, in, in my family background, uh, alcohol has not been good. It scares me to death. And I don't drink it. I've had a couple sips, every, I don't know, in my whole life. I don't think I've drank in a full eight ounce of alcohol, period. It scares me to death. And I don't touch it. But I'm not up here telling you not to drink it. A lot of you drink beer. I have wine. Great fine. Don't ignore. The Bible permits this, and in fact, if you read, the the first miracle Christ did was what? Water turned into wine. And I've read some commentary. I've read one commentary in particular that said, well, actually, if you go back and look, it was watered-down wine. That's how they drank it. I'm like, no, it's not. In the history of winemaking, good wine has never been watered-down wine. Like, it just isn't. That is just self-evident. And if Jesus is going to do a good miracle, he's not going to do a watered-down miracle. 
Everybody at the party said, this is the best wine. And what they didn't know, it was, it was the best wine the world has ever had. It was in that miracle. Jesus made it for them. But the Bible says, you better watch out because wine, alcohol can be dangerous. That's what the Bible says. Be careful. Be very careful. So take whatever thing is and, and look at it and, and what it is is it's an opinion and God is going to say, I'm your master, let me tell you what to do. And this, is, this happened this past Friday night. We were, my wife and I, um, we've done this l- the last year and we did it this year. We didn't see anything, think anything about it and we're selling the 50-50 raffle at the high school football game and we got the big 50-50 thing on and then all of a sudden, all these, you know, old-time Christians are coming up to us from freshwater going, what are you doing? Making fun of us like, how can you be selling 50-50 raffle tickets? And I got texts. My phone blew up. And, and Joe and I are like, we didn't know it was a thing. Like, <laughs> it's a thing? I don't know how, I mean, and, and this is the piece of it. You're, you're giving that money away. Like, you're not going to win. You're just not, I don't know how anybody could think anything else, but you're not going to win if you're going there to play TV <laughs> at the raffle. I, I, that's just a bad way to, to use your money. But anyway, it, you're giving it away. But what dawned on me is I remember talking with some of my African-American friends who are pastors up in the city, and they said, Scott, the lottery, the lottery is so evil. It destroys our community. We see people coming home and, and going and giving their paycheck every day. How can you play the lottery? And I'm thinking, well, that's the lottery. It just dawned. I just remember, I, I remember talking to one of them going, because I was just like, what's the deal? I'm just so removed from that. It's not part of my background. And that's where God comes in, the Lord. God sees our heart. And it doesn't mean because we have struggled with something, we should then require everybody else to avoid it and look down on those who don't. And it doesn't mean this, that we're holier than now when we've got to make sure we control everybody and, and close off every potential route towards sin. It's just, it's just not the way it works. God sees our heart. We have a conscience He speaks to it, and he says, quit judging. So that's the first part of chapter 14 is quit judging. Everybody say quit judging. Quit judging, good. Second part of Romans 14, he he flips it to another aspect of it. He says, first, you know, let me draw the conclusion here. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. And then he moves on to a new theme but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He shifts this from trying to control everybody else to now, I want you to now think about how you're controlling your actions. Do not put a stumbling block in the path of a brother or a sister. I know that I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and proved by men. So then let us pursue what makes peace for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. But the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul shifts now to this idea of tripping. Do not trip your brother or sister. And I think this is one of the great tests of our maturity in Christ. When you hear that somebody else has a problem with something, do you just go, get over it? I'm going to do this anyway. And just right there in front of them. Like, this is your deal. Whatever. Build a bridge. Get over it. And you just keep on doing it. You really don't give a rip about what people think. A great test of maturity is our ability to see someone and go, wow, that's a struggle for them. I don't need to do that around them. I don't need to do that around them. I am free, rather than creating rules, I'm free to restrain myself, have self-control, limit what I do when I'm around them. It's not about hiding. It's about a higher call. It's, it's a higher call not to stumble. I, I love that picture. He's like, these people have been redeemed by Christ. Christ died for them. They're trying to get up to Jesus. And, and what we're doing is we're throwing rocks in front of them and throwing out logs in front of them and, and getting in the way of their journey to Christ because we're free. Look at me. I can do all these things. And this isn't, uh, uh, I don't know if I have time for that, but um, Paul says this, look, if you are all about you and you don't like anybody telling you what to do and restricting you, this isn't about this. This is the Holy Spirit saying to you, you got to start thinking of others because if you're about yourself, he says, you're, you're throwing logs and rocks out there, but more than that, you're getting in the way of their journey to Christ. And he says, you are not loving now there's a command. That, that's a pretty big one. You're breaking, I'm breaking. He, he comes and he pulls love in. We are not walking in love, and he has just said love is the fulfillment of the commands. Isn't that ironic? We're so consumed with freedom in Christ and what we can do. We're so consumed with all this stuff that we ignore actually the true command, which is love one another. I just see Christ is wooing somebody. He's got his arms out and they're walking towards him and we just keep kicking them, tripping them because we want to do what we want to do. He says, quit tripping people. And to balance out this negative thing, he he lays out several ideas about how to live in the gray and, and to live in freedom. And he says this. He says, don't let someone else 
I love this. Verse 16, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't let somebody else change your mind when it comes to your conscience before God. Like, Paul, you can't write that. You know how dangerous that is, Paul? Like, and that's not Paul, that's God. But there's so many people messed up and they're so wrong and they're doing all these wrong. It's like, he says right here, on these gray areas, if your conscience is clear, do not let somebody talk you out of it. Stand. Go for it. Second idea, he says, and I love this. He says, first, if your conscience is clear, go for it. Second, let me tell you what the, the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about this, righteousness, joy, or peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He, he just, he drops this in here, and, and, and the church is just so fixated on all these fences and rules and who's in and who's out and who's less than that. He's like, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the Holy Spirit who comes and gives us righteousness, peace, and joy. Fixate on that. Talk about that. Get into that. That's, that's the kingdom of God. That's God's vision for us. And if we're having all these conversations about are you, are you going up against the line and putting your toe, oh, oh, oh you're, you're doing that. Oh, my. You're free. Oh, my. Well, I'm free. And he's just like, it's not about that. It's about this, this presence, this, this God who lives in us and he's pulled us into his kingdom and he wants his righteousness in us and he wants his, his peace in us, like peace beyond this world and joy. Live in the kingdom. Be consumed with the kingdom, not all this other stuff. And the third thing that he leaves us with, this third idea, it comes in verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. His third idea is this. Our life is predicated on faith. The greater the relationship, the deeper the relationship, the healthiest relationship is based on faith, trust, that idea. Think of it. If your relationship starts to fall apart, more rules start to get established. But if you are in good relationship, you have faith, you have trust. And, and what he is saying right here is this, this whole relationship is about faith. This whole kingdom of God thing is about faith. And if the Holy Spirit is coming and by faith convicting you of something, like he says here, if you're doing something and you know you shouldn't be because the Holy Spirit is telling you, even though the Bible is silent on it, but you know you shouldn't do it, then guess what? You're actually sinning because the Holy Spirit has just made it clear. And if you're in the middle of something you know other people may struggle with, the, the Bible's silent on it again, but you don't have any guilt on it, you're good. It's faith. It's you and God. It's this relationship. And it's, this is what leaves us so squishy and like, ah, like, how do you get a handle on this? 
Because what we want to do is control things, and we want it all written out and down on a piece of paper and say, oh, no, no, that is exactly wrong, and this is forever right, and, and God will not let us do that. He will strip that from us all day long. Faith, Holy Spirit, should I be doing this or not? And we know. And if people are lying, well, yep, it happens. And if we're lying, well, yep, that happens. And we'll have to give account for that. Can people abuse this freedom? Yep. Church history has plenty of examples of that. We're really good at abusing freedom. But God would have it no other way. Us, him, faith, this kingdom of righteousness, joy, peace. Let's pray. Some of you right now, I just invite you, Lord, have I been judging anyone for this stuff that's gray? Ask him. Have I been looking at anyone with disdain? Lord, am I tripping people up because of what I'm free to do? And I'm being immature about it. Just by faith, let's just practice this. Just come before the Holy Spirit. Ask him those three things. Lord, is there patterns of judging? Is there pattern where I am disdaining people? Is there patterns of tripping people up? And if there is, just simply say, Lord, I agree with you. I see it. I'm sorry. Then ask him, Lord, are there areas in my life where I know I'm blowing through the the conscience barrier? Because I think I'm free, but I'm not. Just ask him. Is there anything you want me to pull back from that's a gateway for me into dangerous territory? You just say, okay. I'll stay away. And finally, just receive this blessing. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill each person with your righteousness, not man-made righteousness, your righteousness right now. The righteousness of Christ, like would you give us his righteousness right now, Holy Spirit? Would you give us peace? Each person on this campus, Lord, your peace. Would it break through all worry, all fear, all anxiety, anger, anything? Lord, your peace. I pray you would not find fault with anyone as you give your peace right now. Fault is, is not on the table, Lord. Just your peace. Just give it to each person. And would you give joy? Would you pour your joy out on every person in this room, 
Lord, no matter what background, no matter what experiences in their past, joy right now, no matter the highs or lows that people are in, would your joy fill each person up? That your kingdom, fresh water, would be known as this place where the kingdom of God flows. And Lord, would you send each person out with your righteousness, your peace, your joy, free to love, 